A story that features a character who discovers that the world they live in is not the real world. Action filled with guns and martial arts. Characters who can dodge bullets. And outfits that consist of long coats and sunglasses. Yeah, it's not that movie. On this episode of Moving Panels, we discuss Blade. Welcome to Moving Panels, the podcast where we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. I'm your host, Laramie Wells, and joining me today from the Pop Culture Roulette Podcast, first-time guest host, please welcome Nicholas Pepin. Welcome, Nicholas. Thanks for having me. I know we've been talking about this for a little while, so... It's it's good to find yeah. the, good to find the to get to a, a movie that uh, we could you know, agree on. You were we were going through a list, and I was like, ah, oh, uh, I've already promised that one to somebody else. And <laughs> hey, that's that's. I mean, I'm I'm willing to discuss just about anything comic book related, even if I didn't like it. Sometimes that makes for a better conversation. Oh, that's been a, a lot of our conversations recently. Because I mean, I did went through a run of uh, X Men. Uh, movies yeah last stand and i listened to your episode on uh last stand and that that one would have been difficult for me to do because i truly hate that movie <laughs> well that was me with x-men origins can't stand that movie and i got a uh, new mutants coming up pretty soon i uh, have i have yet that's one of the few newer comic book movies that i have yet to watch i just i didn't i couldn't bring myself to go see it in the theaters and and then I just keep forgetting. after it took four years to actually be released. <laughs> yeah, that's part of the reason why I didn't uh, necessarily jump overseeing it because I was like, eh. if it was that good, they would have found a way to release it. No, definitely. But um, at least we uh, we got a good one this time, I would say. Yeah. So we are, of course, talking about the 1998 uh, hit Blade. Uh, before we get into background stuff, I, I want to ask that actually ask you what was your knowledge. Uh, like, did you see this movie right when it came out? Did you see it later? Did you, because this was a big deal with this movie, did you know it was a comic book movie? Um, I I mean, I know I went and saw it in the theaters. This is, unlike all the ones I do with Tim, I can tell you I went and saw it when I was in college. I went and saw this one in, in the theaters. But I have been racking my brain to remember if I knew it was a comic book movie going in or if it was one of those, like, Marvel Comics, Stan Lee, what... What am I in? What have I gotten into? Because I mean, I knew who those people were as soon as their names popped up in the opening credits. But I, I don't know because the internet existed in '98, but not quite exactly. Not really, yeah. Not not quite the way it is now. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to say yes, I knew it was a comic book, but I can't promise you that I I actually knew. You know, I'm kind of the same way because I don't know if I knew. I mean, obviously, I was into comics at the time. I don't know if I knew ahead of time or now that it's been 20 something years. Uh, my memory's just making me think I knew. I do think I realized that it was uh, a comic book character because Blade had appeared in the Spider Man animated series. Which is in, in the nineties. Which is entirely possible. That's why I knew it was a comic book movie. I, I mean, obviously this is, you know, way prior, uh, pre Iron Man, pre even you know Tobey Maguire. Um, so they weren't necessarily pumping Marvel presents as much. Oh no, no. I mean, this was only the second like major motion picture Marvel had done. The first, of course, being the great Howard the Duck. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, they did a couple other, I guess, more made-for-TV ones. I mean... Yeah, kind of low-budget. Uh, the Captain America in 1990, the, uh, the Punisher. Yeah, with uh, Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. Uh, and I know there was a Nick Fury movie with David Hasselhoff in there somewhere. I think that was after this, though. Uh, I don't remember. I remember watching yeah. it on TV and going, why? <laughs> uh, you want to ask yourself why? I own it. <laughs> I have it on DVD. I have Howard the Duck on maybe Blu-ray. I know I intentionally went to Best Buy one day to buy it. I don't know if I've ever opened it because I've seen it multiple times. But uh, Tim and I, and, and by the way, for anyone listening, the Tim we're talking about is, of course, current guest host Tim Williams, who hosts a podcast called The 80s Flick Flashback that Nicholas and I have both been on. That's actually how Nicholas and I connected. But uh, yeah, Tim and I are actually talking about doing Howard the Duck. I, that isn't, I mean, yeah, that is an eighties movie. So yeah, that would. Yep. You know. All right. Well, let's get into the background behind this. As we just talked about, this was Marvel's second attempt as a major film. Uh, they had had smaller uh, ventures into it and in television series, but at the time this is, and it's a huge story that we won't have time to get into the, the details on, but Marvel entertainment had actually just filed for chapter 11. Uh, they were not doing well. No. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with that that story, but this is when Marvel pretty much went, hey, we're just going to license out all of our characters, just any way we can make money. And so that's what they were doing. Now, Blade originally fell in the hands of New World Pictures. Are you familiar with New World Pictures? Maybe mm. as with the 80s? Uh, I mean, I probably if maybe, but not nothing's p- picking up in the head right away. So let me give you a few 80s classics that were released by New World Pictures. Saturday the 14th. <laughs> Chud. Okay. Transylvania 65000. All right, yet yeah, no, I now I now I know now I know the name. Yeah, now <laughs> Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh, I love Return of the Killer Tomatoes. <laughs> George Clooney's debut there. Yeah. And and now that now here's some that actually aren't horrible. We got House, which is one of my personal favorites. Another one Tim and I have talked about doing for his show. Okay. I'm a huge fan of House. Uh, Hellraiser. Okay. And they released Heathers. Okay. All right. So I've definitely, I, that's probably why the name rung a bell, because I, mm-hmm. I've seen a grand majority of the movies that you just mentioned. <laughs> yeah, no. I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, this is 80s royalty right here. So, again, originally in the hands of New World Pictures. They purchased Marvel in 1986, which is how they got all of this. Um, So they were also behind the Punisher movie. They were behind the Fantastic Four, Iron Man, and Spider-Man cartoons of the 90s. Okay. Another thing they did, and I'm curious to see if you remember this, it aired on Fox, the Generation X television movie. Oh, the the one that they were like, this isn't the X-Men, but clearly was a ripoff of the X-Men? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I remember that. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I don't remember watching very much of it, but I remember it. I remember watching it. Um, I have tried to find it on DVD. Um, I found some some sites that sell like bootleg copies of it, um, which I'm always sketchy about uh, getting. But then I found out that I think the entire movie you can find on YouTube. Probably, so, probably. Uh, they were also behind a special uh, cartoon called pride of the x-men yeah that's the the that was haven't they renamed it like kitty pride in the x-men or 
Yeah, so Pride was spelled P-R-Y-D-E, Pride of the X-Men. And that was actually, it was that special that became the X-Men animated series. Okay. So that's not that's not what I was thinking of then. But yeah, no, I, I, so I don't remember that one. Yeah, I've never seen the Pride of the X-Men. Uh, but when New World had ownership of Blade, they wanted Richard Roundtree to play Blade. Well, I mean, at a certain point, yeah, but by the time they made it, no. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> not when they made it, but... And I don't know, I'm still even a little torn with if they had it during the 80s. Because even during the 80s, Richard Roundtree was still up there in age. He was probably already in his 40s. Yeah, but I mean, you know, a guy like that would have been in shape and, you know, he had the whole shaft thing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then when they got into the 90s, there was discussion of LL Cool J playing Blade. Uh, I mean, I like him. He's funny, but I don't know. Maybe just because of what Wesley Snipes did with it. And made it what it was. Like, I have a hard time seeing. That's exactly. Yeah. Can you envision anyone else being Blade? I mean, we're about to. And I. But I, you know, like LL Cool J and and Wesley Snipes are such different actors. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Wesley Snipes has that ability to do the serious and the growl. And I think LL Cool J would have been like the jokey, like, hey, you know, like it would have been a little bit more funny or i mean i guess a little bit lighter oh you didn't find any of this funny <laughs> uh, i mean there were a few jokes here and there but yeah can we talk about i want to just go i'm going to jump i have this further down in my notes but i'm going to go ahead and jump and talk about some of his little one-liners which there is one one-liner that i just every time i hear it even after watching it this time i just what and uh, i'm gonna avoid the uh the curse word in this but uh at the end Right before he kills Deacon, he says, some MFers are always trying to ice skate uphill. <laughs> oh, I I read something on on the reason that line got put in. And it was like a late addition to the script. Uh, it was one of those like somebody heard him say that, like not in character. And they were like, that's cool. Let's put it in. I don't. It's not. <laughs> I mean, I get I mean, it's. The imagery is there. I mean, trying to ice skate is difficult enough. And if you were trying to do it uphill, it's it's near impossible. But, yeah. you know. But it's such a random line in this dark vampire movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the the lines of, well, you met Mr. Crispy, you know, that, uh, yeah, okay, we get it. Uh, there's not a line here, but at the beginning when he staples uh, Quinn to the wall, after the second staple, he does the fist pump. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think Wesley Snipes envisions himself as more of a a well-rounded actor than he really is. Maybe he feels like he could pull off comedy, and I don't, I don't know hey, if I've ever. He did two Wong Fu. Yeah, all right. Well, that's not a movie we like to talk about, <laughs> or at least I like to talk about. I don't know what goes on over there. And I mean, he started off in Major League. That is true. I mean, he was really funny as Say Hey Willie Mays. He got some comedy chops there. Yeah, but I mean, that's I, when I think comedy, I don't necessarily. Ooh, hey, look at that! Look at me being a unprofessional. No, he he was the action star at this time. You had you had like Denzel doing the the dramatic roles. You had Eddie Murphy, of course, doing the comedic roles, and then you had 
Wesley Snipes doing the action. He was the big action hero. Yeah. And I mean, again, he's considered one of the, the main ones. I mean, you had Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, uh, Mel Gibson, Bruce Willis, and Wesley Snipes right up there with him. Yeah. And then, you know, Van Damme and Seagal just desperately trying to jump in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> trying to... Eh. And that was the thing, too, was Wesley Snipes was an actual martial artist. Like, people tend to forget that. He he was actually like a black belt, and a lot of what you see him do, he was that was really Wesley Snipes doing it. Well, I mean, and I, I feel like that might be, and I don't, you know, obviously this is the first movie, not the third one, but I know that there was some onset problems with the third one with uh, him and Ryan Reynolds, because Ryan Reynolds is just, like, effortlessly funny. And constantly joking. And Wesley Snipes, I heard, as I understand it, didn't quite appreciate it as well as most other people do. Probably felt he was getting upstaged as well. Yeah. But eventually, New World Pictures would would lose the rights to it. And it would move to New Line Cinema, who actually released the, the picture. Of course, New Line Cinema, the house that Freddie built. I still love to this day seeing that New Line Cinema logo. There's just something nostalgic yeah. about it for me yep uh but new line actually wanted it to be kind of like a vampire spoof movie so i don't know if this was when the ll cool j talk was happening see now that would have made a little more sense having ll cool j be in a spoof version yeah. like that i could have bought but well luckily the writer of the the script david s goyer talked them out of it um and david s goyer i hmm I know a lot of people who absolutely love him, and it's mainly because of the Dark Knight trilogy, but he's hit or miss if you actually look at his entire run of things that he's been a part of. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean he was, you talked about the Blade Trinity a minute ago. He was the director of that movie. Right. But I mean, he's also done, he's done a, a Dark City, which I know is hit or miss for a lot of people, but uh, it's a very well-written story. So yeah. I'm a fan. Dark City, I'm a fan of that. I have not watched it in a long time, but I know when I was in college, I, I watched that a bunch. Yeah. he, I, I, I can't give him credit for this, but you brought it up earlier. He actually wrote that Nick Fury Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. movie, the one with David Hasselhoff. He wrote yeah. it. Well, you know, I mean, we can't all wait be winners. But he, he wrote all three Blade movies. He wrote Batman Begins. He wrote Jumper. Which is kind of a, uh, yeah. yeah. He was the creator of a television show that came on ABC called Flash Forward that got canceled like right around the writer strike, I think it was. Yeah, that was, that had promise, but that just, it didn't, you know, I, I enjoyed it for, it was getting good right at the end, but it, I think it took a little too long to get good. Yeah. Uh, and then he's also been, I mean, he was the writer of Man of Steel. Uh, episodes of the Constantine television series, the Krypton television series. So he's had his hand in all, you know, whether you say good or bad, he's had his hand in all of it. I hear he's actually going to be the writer of the uh, He-Man reboot, the Masters of the Universe. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at his list of just the writing stuff, and you're right, it is definitely hit or miss. He's got some really, really good stuff, and some, to say bad would be putting it mildly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know where, you know, again, like I said, I know a lot of people that kind of put David Goyer up on a pedestal, but I, I really think they only did that because of the dark uh, of Batman Begins, because I don't even think he wrote. He didn't write the Dark Knight, did he? Oh, uh, well, let me he see. Write the Dark Knight. 
I'm looking through his list now. Uh, yes, he did. He, well, hold on now. He wrote the story that yeah. The Dark Knight is based on. So he didn't actually write the script. I imagine that Nolan probably wrote a lot of the scripts. Him and his... Probably. Yeah, him and his brother. And who knows how many other people had got writing credits because they used character. Yeah, see, Bob Kane has a writing credit, even though Bob Kane was long dead by the time Dark Knight came out. So, yeah. And, and although... Uh, he didn't get credit until Batman v Superman. Bill Finger probably would have gotten. Yeah, Bill Finger. I mean, well. they probably should retroactively go put it on there, but which I, you know, I know that you are definitely more into Superman, but that that Bill Finger documentary on Hulu. Oh yeah, is, that's a good is, documentary. Is, I, is I have a, watched it. Is a really good watch. Well, you know, it's a, there's a similar story just in the uh, um, Siegel and Schuster and giving them credit for Superman. Yeah, when it comes to a lot of that, so I mean that's been a, a a battle for a lot of these big characters. So, all right, well, uh, we finally got the Blade movie. Uh, just to give the release date, it was released on August twenty first, nineteen ninety eight. I do want to point out that this movie came out before the Matrix. Yep, because a lot of people make the Matrix connection. And of course, if you listen to my cold open, I was making the connection as well. But the Matrix didn't come out until the following year. Matrix came out in '99, right? So this this was ahead. So if anyone wants to say that somebody stole the look or style or whatnot, Matrix stole it from Blade. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, or it was just something that was in the zeitgeist at the time, and you know, it was. Yeah, you know, Th- this is a this is a very '90s movie. Yeah. Oh no, I mean straight up. I mean. I just did Bloodsport with uh, Tim, and I was one of my saying one of my statements there was like Bloodsport was aggressively an '80s movie. Like you yeah. could not like if you just turned it on and told somebody to watch it, they would be '80s. <laughs> um, and I think you could do very similar things with Blade. Like it is, it's '90s. I mean the the soundtrack, the way it's shot, the the graphics are good, but they're not great like you know i mean they don't necessarily hold up as well i mean at the time they were they oh my not. goodness <laughs> they do not but there's definitely yeah there's definitely some and and i just i just got myself this nice fancy new tv and i watched it on that which i probably shouldn't have done <laughs> yeah <laughs> high quality animation That's yeah what you got out of the yeah, yeah but a, we'll we'll get into that a little bit more when we're breaking it down more in the moving panel section. Let's go ahead and jump into the characters. Uh, of course, we'll start off with Blade himself, played by Wesley Snipes. Did you know that Wesley Snipes was actually David S. Goyer's pick? Do you know who New Line wanted to play Blade? Uh, was it? I think wasn't it like Eddie Murphy? No, Denzel Washington. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah. No, again, I don't. Uh, I just don't see him pulling that off. I don't. Well, uh, and another person I read that they were interested in was Lawrence Fishburne, who would then go on to do the Matrix. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a hard time seeing him as well. I, again, that's the thing. It's so hard to picture anyone else in this role except for uh, well, for Wesley Snipes. I mean, just because I I don't know if it'll come up later, but since we're talking about it, when when they announced Mahershala Ali as the new Blade. My first thought was, uh, and then I no, then I looked at him and I was like, nope, I get it. That's the only other person who 
they could have like you know because obviously people are like oh terry cruz or you know somebody like that and it's like uh, terry, eh. terry cruz is too big yeah but like seeing have having seen mahershala ali and a lot of other movies and stuff like that i've never really seen him do any comic book stuff but i mean obviously i mean he's got at least one oscar i mean i know he's got a couple i think nominations so he can obviously act oh yeah but i see him I don't know if you just leave him completely bald or you try to give him the blade like faux hawk, but I think it would be interesting to kind of do the look that they've kind of had in the comics to give him the really almost bald, but not completely. And he's got the design in the kind of side. Did you ever watch the blade television show that came on spike? I have it on DVD down in my basement. (laughs) I've never actually seen the series. I saw the, the little like, House of Cthulhu, where they kind of made it into a, it was like a couple of episodes that they pitched, yeah. they released as like a movie. So with that being said, I mean, Blade there was played by Sticky Fingers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> since you've seen it, what were your thoughts of, of his portrayal of Blade? I mean, it it wasn't bad. Um, it was different. I mean, I think he was trying to do sort of a Wesley Snipes impression. Um. Yeah. And I mean, the first episode or two, it was hard to wrap your head around because it was what it was. But like, the more I got into it, the longer the series went, it like, I I really started to enjoy the series. So it was easy to go back and like watch it later and go, okay, all right, you can see what he was doing. But uh, unfortunately, Spike didn't give that very long, what, 13 episodes in a movie or something like that. Yeah, that was when Spike was just trying to become a thing. They were desperate and grasping at straws, and they were like, "We have something." Because didn't they also have a Mortal Kombat television series? Uh, they might have. I know that uh, TNT was that or, TNT, yeah, TNT or USA did one back in the late nineties. Because I had a roommate who was obsessed with wrestling, and that would come on after wrestling, so we would we would watch wrestling, or I would make fun of him for watching wrestling while watching while <laughs> watching it. While watching it with him, so I mean, you know, really, um, uh, and then we'd watch Mortal Kombat. Let's not let's not dish dish on wrestling because I'm a, I'm a big wrestling fan myself. Well, like I uh, said, I was making fun of him for watching it while sitting and watching it with him. Yeah. All right. So the character of Blade first appeared in the Tomb of Dracula, number ten, back in July of 1972. Um, that was a comic book that centered around the character of Dracula, where he was kind of a, a anti-hero, uh, but of course he was still a vampire, and you had a bunch of vampire hunters that came in, Blade being one of those. Hannibal King, who was Ryan Reynolds' character in the third movie, he came in as one of the vampire hunters. So that's where he was introduced. He was created by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colon. Marv Wolfman, again, me as a big DC guy, Marv Wolfman's also the writer of the Crisis on Infinite Earths storyline. The guy who almost had to change his name because of the comic code at one point. Oh, there's a lot of that. <laughs> he was like, that's my actual name. Yeah, yeah. It's actually Wolfman. Uh, the origin of Blade, however, in the comic books kind of has changed throughout. We'll get into more of this later with the uh, the moving panel section. But when he was introduced, he's just a dude. He's just a, a regular human. Um, you do find out that he's immune to vampire bites. Uh, he's called Blade uh, because of his preference of using knives that were made of wood. So a steak? I, I think that's what you call a steak. 
Yeah. <laughs> but they called him Blade. And our, now, a little trivia question. Do you know Blade's real name? Eric Jones? No, Close. Eric Brooks. Eric, Eric Brooks. Brooks. Yes, Eric Brooks. Now, in the 90s, this was the time that David Goyer started working on the film. The script had been floating around Hollywood. It got back to Marvel. And so even before the movie was released, Marvel read through Goyer's script and went, we like this. And so they updated the look of Blade. Because when Blade started off, he was, I mean, when he came out in the 70s, it was a very much a black black exploitation look to him. Um, very similar to like Luke Cage's original look. Oh, the Power Man outfit and crown. Yeah, yeah. Blade wore like a bright green jacket, and of course he had a little bit of a fro. He had these big yellow sunglasses, but they went with the more sleek look with the black and the leather and and that whole concept, as well as the abilities. We'll get into that more in the uh, movie panel section. Goyer also came up with the idea of the Daywalker, which Marvel, of course, followed suit, uh, referring to him as the Daywalker. So what were your thoughts? Does Wesley Snipes portray a comic book character or does Wesley Snipes just play him as if he was just a regular movie character who just happened to be a comic book character? Do you understand my question? Yeah, I mean, I I think I do. I mean, it's entirely possible, although... I was about to say it's entirely possible that Wesley Snipes didn't know Blade was a comic book character, but I don't believe that because I know he was really big into Black Panther even before he did Blade. Yeah, because he wanted to play that because character. He, he wanted to do Black Panther before he did Blade, and I think he even did Blade kind of with a nudge, 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 wink, wink, like, I'll do this if you let me do, you know, Black Panther, you know, agreement, which obviously he never got to do. So, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, so I think he knew that Blade was a comic book character, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's it's really tough to tell what his mindset was. Yeah, that that's where, because when watching his performance, it's really like, to me, is he's just playing it as if it's just another one of his action films. No, I, I would agree. I mean, I just, I mean, I, just, I do appreciate, though, that he he did play it a little bit, or tried to play it a little bit more straight, not like, some of the comic book movies before that, like, and we'll get to it in a minute, but uh, with like Batman and Robin, where like Arnold was just, you know, bombastic and big and really just like trying to, you know, ham it up. Where I think him playing it serious or at least playing it straight, like, I live in this world where, like, you know, he believed he lived in this world where he was a half vampire or a vampire who was a daywalker. And because he he went with that vision, it made it work. Like it, and it kind of gave a template for a lot of comic book movies that came after that. Yeah. Where instead of being the crazy, like "Ooh, look at me, Jim Carrey" kind of thing, it was like you know, just like, yes, it's ridiculous that you're a half vampire daywalker. You're out to kill all the other vampires, but play it like that's re- like that's a real thing, like that could happen, and be kind of kind of honor the where it came from so that the you know the Cumberland fans can at least be happy with it even though you didn't necessarily give us exactly where the book came from it was something that was still enjoyable for for the Marvel fans or for the comic fans in general yeah cuz this uh, you mentioned Batman and Robin Batman and Robin came out the year before this and it almost completely destroyed the comic book movie industry oh yeah and and then yeah, and like you said, we'll get into this a little bit more. And Blade, in my opinion, rebooted it. 
Yep. All right, let's let's move on into characters though. We got our major villain, Deacon Frost, played by Stephen Dorff, uh, who apparently is channeling Kiefer Sutherland from Lost Boys. Yes. <laughs> that was I, I that kept couldn't couldn't not see that. No, yeah, no. Uh, he must think that's the only way to play a vampire. Uh, especially a, a rebellious vampire. I mean, I look, Stephen Dorff, he he's a I'm going to say he's a good actor, but is there any role that sticks into your head when you hear the name Stephen Dorff? Other than this one? No. Yeah. I mean, he's one of those guys that believes that acting is an art and so he stays away from like big budget films or or, you know, things that he thinks will be popular intentionally. And wait, so wait, he's in Zoolander. Yeah, I mean, he does stuff like that that you're just like, wait a minute. You can sit here and tell me all day long, I won't do this, I won't do that. And then you show up in Zoolander or yeah. Blade or, you know, I don't know. He's he's and then, you know, one of the only other things I think of when I think of Stephen Dorff is um one of those stupid va- stupid vaping uh commercials when he was like promote not the anti-vaping commercials though like pro-vaping commercials. Ah. I don't like, think I'm familiar with that. Oh yeah, he it was like, you know, oh, I smoke blue or whatever it was. I yeah. don't you know. I, don't. I actually remember him. I'm curious to know if you've ever seen this movie. I remember him from a little action movie. He played Emilio Estevez's younger brother in a movie called Judgment Night. Oh my goodness, I haven't thought about that movie in 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> That's like that was like one of those little uh like founded at Blockbuster one day watched it and I was like, huh, it's not it's actually not bad. I think I intentionally hunted that movie out because of the soundtrack. Back back before the internet, I read the newspaper, like, you know, the entertainment section, like paid, you know, word uh-huh. for word. I would study the movie trailer. Like they used to have like the posters yeah. in, in in the you know, the little like four inch yeah. posters. And I would be, oh, who's in that one? Who's in that one? And I, I would just I can't remember my phone number half the time, but I can remember what movie I saw in the theaters or the fact that like Judgment Night, now that you bring it up, I I know I rented it. I think I rented it because the soundtrack was cool. Because like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Dennis Leary was the villain, I think, in that one. And then, yeah, that was the whole like Devil's Night, the mischief night before Halloween night or before Halloween thing or... Something well, no, like that. It's it's a group of friends because it's uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., Emilio Estevez, Stephen Dorff, and a, th- a couple other guys that I think they get killed off pretty quickly. And they've rented a like RV. Yeah. And they're going to a like a sporting event, and they end up on the wrong side of town, and they witness a like a drug deal gone wrong or something, and now the mob is after them. Wasn't it in Detroit as well? Could have been. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I I mean I do remember seeing it. I don't remember it very well, but Yeah. No, that's that that was though, like we were talking about earlier, that was one of those standard early nineties action films that was just action for the sake of action. Moving on, uh next up we've got Whistler, Abraham Whistler, played by country music legend Chris Christopherson. Who, Are you more familiar with him as a musician or as an actor? As an actor, okay. I am. Uh, I am not a country. Despite the fact that I grew up down south, I am not a country music fan. 
So, I mean, I'm sure that my dad probably made me listen to Chris Christopherson, so I knew he was a musician. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely would don't go out of my way to listen to country music. Yeah, I don't think I knew. I, I probably couldn't. I know I couldn't tell you any of his songs. Um, and if you were to play one, I, I would have gone, oh, didn't know that was him. So I'm kind of in the same boat. But, uh, yeah, I, I would have known him as an actor. I mean, A Star is Born. Probably a big yeah. one for him. Plus, again, we can we go into being a kid of the the eighties and nineties. I remember him as the um, the leader of the circus in Big Top Pee Wee. Okay, I mean, I I only vaguely remember that one, but I I, I forgot. I was a big, big Pee Wee fan. So. I remember Pee Wee's Big Adventure better than B, uh, Big Top Pee Wee. Well, it was a better movie, so I'm, I won't. <laughs> won't deny you on that one now whistler this is an interesting little tidbit whistler did exist before the movie but not in the comic book he appeared on the spider-man animated series which is the the episode that blade was also introduced in it's a season two episode it's titled blade the vampire hunter aired uh february 3rd of 1996 but from the research i have gathered it was because, like I mentioned earlier, Goyer's script going around, they read this character of Whistler and went, ooh, we like him. We're going to put him into the cartoon. Yeah. Sometimes they give David S. Goyer credit in things I read. Sometimes they give it to John Semper, who wrote the uh, episode. So, don't know. Don't know at all. He does look different, though. He's you know not. He doesn't have the beard, long hair. He not, hasn't the grizzled look. He's more clean cut. But it's the same story. He found Blade as a kid and taught him um, how to fight and um, how to kill vampires. So Now, Blade's mentor in the comic book is actually a character named Jamal Afari, um, who they are going to bring back in the new, uh, the remake, the reboot of Blade. So we will get to see it comic book uh, accurate this time. Um, he'll be played by Delroy Lindo. Oh, good choice. Yeah, but he'll be playing Jamal Afari, who was Blade's original mentor. Uh, he first appeared back in Marvel preview number three in July of 1975. But we'll, we'll save him for when the, the reboot comes out. But like I said, otherwise, that's the character Whistler was kind of based on. A lot of people, and Nicholas and I are probably the last <laughs> to really talk about this, a lot of people who are familiar with uh, the Blade a comic, especially after the fact now, you know, are kind of happy that they're going back to this for the remake because clearly not having that character in this movie uh, kind of felt like whitewashing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I guess I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but I definitely see where they're coming from in that situation because you, you are taking a character that didn't exist in the comic books and giving him a role that did exist in the comic books yeah. with, with a different name. So I do, I do wonder if they will just because Whistler has become such a popular character. And I believe they have even started adding him into the books later. They have. Yeah. Um, if they won't find a way to work him into the movies or, or you know, I mean, so. they brought him back for the sequels and he is killed in the first movie. Yeah. Well, that is, I mean, they, so they found a way to do that, but, um, you know, just just because I mean, he is a he, <clears throat> whether he is from the comic books or not, he is a popular character. So I, you know, 
Well, and then we'll get into this some more as well. But yeah, this movie definitely, as we've already talked about, uh, changed a lot about the comics um, to kind of fit this. Uh, but that those that's it for the characters that come from the comics. No other character in this movie come from the comic books. Right. Um, so our, our next major character is Dr. Karen Jensen, uh, played by Inbushe Wright. Although she plays an important role, I think her main purpose in this movie is she's the viewer. Like she learns stuff as we are learning stuff. We have no knowledge prior to the events that start happening to her. Yes, correct. I mean, other than that, it's, I mean, I get there's the part at the end where he feeds off of her and yes, she creates the the serum that allows them to defeat Deacon, but was she necessary? I mean, just to give Blade something else to work off of and, and, you know, you know, it's, it's, you had to have somebody there. You could have put just about anybody. But I mean, it, it, you, you know, I I don't know if if Blade gets where he is without her her help. I mean, obviously, you know, with the serum, but even with, you know, kind of figuring some other stuff out along the way. And like you said, he is she does kind of represent the viewer so that like there's a reason for them to just all of a sudden give us exposition. Like there's yeah. no reason for Whistler to be like, oh man, remember that time I found you when you were, you know. True, yeah. I didn't think about that. Because I was thinking, well, couldn't have Whistler, because clearly he's doing research. And right. I mean, so, I mean, they could have given him that, but there's yeah. no reason for Whistler. Like, if Whistler and Blade are just sitting there, he's not like, ah, remember that time when you were five and I found you and you were feral? and Although, <laughs> although when Blade sees Dr. Karen... Uh, Dr. Jensen, um, laying there after she's been bitten by Quinn, he has a flash of his mother, and I'm going, wait, you were just born. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> How are you remembering this? Yeah, there's that, and the like, the fact that like Whistler didn't find him, and it, he said, I don't, I don't know why five keeps sticking in my head, but I mean, it could have been seven or nine, or I mean, I don't. It was later in life. Like, how did Whistler know any of that? Like, yeah, you know, before he found him and like started training him, like, yeah. how did Whistler know? Like, oh, well, your mom was, yeah, yeah. How do they know what happened to his mom? That's very true. Unless, um, unless there's some sort of vampire power that we're unaware of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a weird one. But we just mentioned him. Let's go ahead and talk about uh, probably the comic relief of this, and that is. Uh, Donald Logue as Quinn. What were your thoughts on that character? I I mean, the character was just there for comic relief and to give somebody Blade a, a chance to just beat up on throughout the movie. But I love Donald Logue as a as an actor. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I, he, Harvey Bullock from yeah Gotham. I mean, Harvey. Um, but I think I mean he had that great sitcom Grounded for Life. Grounded for Life, yeah. Um, that was a great show. Um. He had a, a quick little role on Vikings for a season or two. Okay. He had a, a movie. It's it's a great movie. I I've not seen it in a long time, so I can't say that it holds up. But Ghost Rider. Called, uh, well, there was Ghost Rider, <laughs> but uh, uh, Dow of Steve. 
Oh yeah, yeah, I'm familiar yeah. with that. He just he does such like I mean he does such weird random stuff. He did. Um, do you watch uh, what we do in the shadows? I haven't fully. No. Okay. I've um, seen like bits and pieces. It's one I do ha- want to sit down and watch. Oh, it's so good. I love that show. Um, but he has a role on the last couple episodes of the last season where yeah. he is he is he is playing himself Donald Logue, but as a vampire. And he, he his reasoning was he had so much fun doing Blade and he really loved being uh cosplaying as a vampire that he just went out and became a vampire for real. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I like I like meta stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, anytime Donald Logue is in something, I'm at least going to pay attention, you know, like, I don't necessarily know if I'll keep watching it, like if it's a series anyway, but like, you know, oh, wait, he's in it. Oh, I'll, I'll give it a shot. But yeah, I mean, and that's the, uh, with his, um, uh, with his kind of not uh, trying to get the words here with his run of movies and television shows. He goes all over the place. He does the crazy comedy stuff, but he does the serious stuff because I know he's had a recurring character. He's been a recurring character on Law and Order. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's not a show that I watch, but I mean, yeah. I mean, you're right. He is. He's got a really good range from like being a, a very good sitcom actor to being, you know, uh, you know, a, a bloodthirsty Viking. You know. Yeah. He's um, good. I, I liked him in this. Um, yeah, being that annoying sidekick, uh, and and I love how th- he just gets dispatched of very quickly at the end. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know what he kind of reminded me of? Uh, it's more in the comic books or, or in the video games. Shocker with Spider Man. Like I can no see one, that. no one ever takes Shocker seriously, and especially in the video games, he's always like the villain who keeps showing back up, but you just knock him out real fast. Yeah, as like I felt like that was like you know that's that's Quinn and you know he's the villain you keep having to fight like as you're leveling up but when you finally level up you just kill him and then you have to fight the real bad guy. Yeah, there's really not any other characters to talk about. Do you want to talk about Dragon Eddie? Which one was he? <laughs> See exactly, exactly. That was Udo Kier's character. Oh yeah, that's right. I mean Udo Kier is one of those guys that he's a that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, and I think I feel like we we are very similar in that, like, we must memorize that guy names. And we're the people who are like, how do you know that guy's name? Well, he's in everything. He's in. Yeah. And we can start naming all sorts of random movies that we saw him in. Uh, another yeah. comic book movie. He was in <laughs> Barbed Wire with Pamela oh. Anderson. Oh, yeah. Barbed Wire. That's I don't know if I've ever actually sat down and watched that all the way through. Do you want to? Not really. <laughs> he was, and, and of course, I think most people, if they're familiar with movies around the '90s, they remember him from Ace Ventura. Yeah, I mean, he he's just in so many things. Never really as the lead, at least in English speaking films. Maybe in German films, he is. Yeah. But I mean, he's he's the he's the bad guy, or just the weird the, comic. the Nazi. Yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, he, he is played, who he is. He played Adolf Hitler. On the uh, the Hunters show that came on uh, Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I get. But, but, I, he has that look. I see it. You know. Yeah, but no. De- de- like I said, though, it's it's such a a small little part that that even when I said the character name to you, Dragon Eddie, 
You didn't know who I was talking about. No, if you had said Udo, if you had said Udo Kerr, I would have been like, oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about Pearl? That's probably another character to kind of just bring up. Oh yeah, that was. Um, having not seen that movie for a little while until I rewatched it, I I remembered there being that character there, and I don't know if it's because now that I have a a 4K TV and I was watching it on a Blu-ray player. Uh, that there are certain aspects of that character that were more obvious than I had ever noticed before. Yeah. But I was like, good Lord, that is disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently yeah, and could have, apparently could have been way more disgusting. Oh, I'm sure that that's one of those characters that even though I have said, I've already covered all the characters from the comics, you would think that character was from a comic of just this giant blobby vampire tech geek. But no, that came straight from this movie. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I, I know that they they were going for the, the disgusting thing, you know, with that character, so. Now, do you get the impression, because of the way the the actor looked in the suit and the way they kind of made up the face and the fact that its name was Pearl, is it supposed to be a woman? That was what I couldn't tell. Because, like, there were certain aspects of the outfit that I either had forgotten about or were more obvious on having that clear of a picture. Yeah. That I was like, wait a minute. Because we realized she'd be topless. If yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Right. But, but I feel like they referred to him as, like, him. Yeah, I can't I remember mean, any pronouns they used. Yeah, I don't either. But, I mean, it was played by a male, you know, actor. Yeah. Played by the guy that played Spanky's dad in Little Rascals. <laughs> now, did you read any of like the trivia stuff on IMDb? A little bit of it, yeah. Okay, so they had originally... Because, I mean, normally when it comes to vampires, vampires are, are sleek, they're svelte, they're in shape. Wow, they're all, yeah. Yeah, they're always... And then you come to this, and that's not your prototypical vampire, at least in most vampire movies. And I guess they were saying... like they had written into the script and then I, they probably for, you know, ratings or the fact that they're like, Hey, this is a comic book movie. I guess that they were saying that he had gotten all fat and disgusting and just kind of gross uh, by feeding off of uh, infants and children. Mm-hmm. So the room that they were in was supposed to be littered with like dead children and blood Oof. of, you know? Yeah. So I feel like they must've toned that down. I'm sure. Stanley or Aviared were like, okay, um, let's let's back that down a little bit. <laughs> and we'll let you have some of this other stuff, but that one we have to, you know. Yeah, that would have been nasty. Yeah. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. All right, let's get into the moving panels. And uh, I'm just going to ask you, were there any scenes, any moments that you think came from the comic book or any 
that you said, or, or what did you think? What do you think was from the comic book, and what do you think was just made for the movie? Oh. Wise action piece wise. I really don't because with Blade comics, I didn't really start reading them until like a couple of decades later when he joined up and started doing a lot more stuff with Black Knight and more of the British stuff. I couldn't tell you like prior to this movie what what, you know, because like you pointed out, the costume was different. So I don't really know if anything came from the, the books or not. Yeah, nothing. Absolutely nothing. OK, the, I mean, that, the, that yeah. makes sense. The only thing would be his origin. That would be okay. It. Again, he started off as uh, a human. Now, in the comic book, his mom was actually a lady of the night. I guess is probably the the the, the cleanest way to put that. Okay. And British, by the way, Blade was British, but his mom was working in a brothel in London. Um, she became pregnant. The other ladies of the house called in a doctor, and the doctor that came in was a doctor by the name of Deacon Frost. And he, of course, then fed on her. Uh, The friends came in, heard her scream, came in, drove Deacon Frost out of the house, and then she uh, gave birth to Eric. And I guess that's how you imply that he's immune to vampire bites, because Kurt's mom was bitten while he was being born. Makes perfect sense. Now, of course, after the movie came out, after that script became a thing, Marvel then cashed in on it. They changed up the character. Uh, It was in an issue of Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Make that clear. That was a whole separate series called Peter Parker, Spider-Man. It was in issue number eight in August of 1995. So before the movie, but like I said, that script had been floating around. They had Blade get bitten by Morbius. And since Morbius is not a true vampire, he's this genetically altered vampire known as the living vampire. His bite and Blade's DNA mixed together. And that's what made Blade into, in the comics, into what the Wesley Snipes character was. With the strength and the speed and you know having all the powers of a vampire but none of its weaknesses. Right. Okay. I mean, in the world of comic books, that makes perfect sense. You know, because comics. Now, are you talking about looking up trivia? Are you aware that they originally filmed an ending that teased Morbius? Yes, I am aware of that. Have um, you seen it? No. So you can find it on YouTube. It's a very kind of grainy one, but it does exist. I don't know why they never put it on the Blu-rays or DVDs as a deleted scene but you can find it on YouTube. I wonder if it has something to do with rights. Maybe. Because I know, I know what, I mean, you, you briefly touched on it a while ago with the whole chapter 11 thing. That's why Marvel has had such a hard time getting to where they are now. And that's why Disney just was like, you know what? We want the X-Men and Fox was like, no. So Disney was just like, fine. We'll buy Fox. We'll we'll just buy you. (laughs) Um, because to stay alive at all, just to keep publishing comic books, they started selling off the rights to characters that they didn't either think people cared about as much or or they didn't care as much about at the time. Or, you know, like Spider-Man was super popular, has been since the beginning. And that's why Spider-Man, Sony was like, we got to have that. Yeah. And that's why Sony doesn't want to give Spider-Man back. Fox wanted the X-Men and Daredevil and, you know, countless number of other ones. And when they get those rights... 
the rights kind of work. Like Fox had the rights to X Men, and pretty much they had rights to any character that was associated with the X Men, like primarily right. associated with the X Men. So because Sony had Spider Man, I don't know if Sony also had because they clearly have Morbius now, but I don't know if they had Morbius at the time. Probably not. So because we're looking at. It would be three more years before we would get Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Right. But I, you know, I don't know when Sony got Spider-Man to begin with, like from, sure. you know, so I don't, I don't know where they had, cause I don't know where more, who own like yeah. whose realm Morbius falls into. I know he has been used most often in the Spider-Man books, which is why I assume that's why Sony has had him. So maybe New Line or you know was like, oh, we want to use Morbius, and Sony was like, nope. <laughs> yeah, I think the way it works because I know I've been doing some research on Swamp Thing recently, and when the producer who owned the rights to Swamp Thing got it, the agreement was that he had access to any character introduced in a Swamp Thing comic book, and so. Morbius was introduced in a Spider-Man comic book. Blade was not, though. So I yeah. think that's that's where we fall now of how Blade is now being able to be introduced into the MCU, whereas right. Morbius is in Sony's little Spider-Verse. Well, because when, I mean, New Line, I don't even know if New Line's doing anything anymore. If they are, they're not doing the good stuff. Um, but they, I, that's... Because I know a lot of the movies are like, as long as they're doing something, like Sony is going to have yes. to keep doing a Spider-Man movie every so often. Or they'll yeah, that's lose why we them. had so many crappy X-Men movies. Right. Because, you know, if you're not doing one or in production of one within so many years, Marvel gets the character back. Yeah. And, and that's why Marvel just had to outlast Fox when it came to Daredevil. Yeah. yeah. Um. Now, you're talking about New Line doing anything. New Line got bought out by Warner Brothers. Okay. So I think that's why you and, don't really see the New Line logo anymore. Right. And so that's probably, in that deal, that's probably where Blade transferred back to Marvel. Possibly. Because then, or then Mar- not using the character in so many, because the TV show would have been the last thing that used the character Blade, and that was 2006. It's sad. Just moved to Wisconsin at the time. So, yeah, it would have been 05, 06, somewhere in there. So, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it when it comes to the comic books. I I know that according to the commentary that David Goyer did, reason they decided not to move forward with the Morbius stuff, he says was because once uh, Stephen Norrington, who directed the first movie, once he kind of went away and then... Guillermo del Toro was kind of signed on. It pretty much just went, okay, whatever we did in the first one is whatever we were trying to set up for isn't going to work anymore. I don't really get how that explains not having it in the original, but okay. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I don't know. But since there's nothing to talk about, I do want to talk about one comic book connection that just came to fruition uh, within the last couple of months. So our big opening scene, the big rave. That is such a cool scene. Yes. In fact, it had such an impact that Marvel actually brought it into the comic books, but they just recently did it. So Marvel has had a storyline going called The Death of Doctor Strange, 
And in the Blade issue, Death of Doctor Strange, Blade number one, which just came out in December, kind of given a quick synopsis here. So in Marvel lore, Doctor Strange had done a spell that pretty much did away with all vampires. Well, now that Doctor Strange has died, uh, the vampires are back and they're celebrating and they have a party complete with blood coming out of sprinklers. Yeah, I mean that that I mean that's that was such a good way to start the movie like a I mean great introduction, yeah. Introduce the, you know, just the world that you live in but just kind of like I mean, for the time like I feel like it was I mean, it's so hard to put myself back in 1998 um when I would have been t- oh, 20. Wow. So that's 23 <laughs> years 23 years ago. Awesome. But, you know, it's so hard to put myself back in that place where, like, what I trying to remember what I had seen before that. But, like, that was such a different take on on the vampire stuff. But, like, that whole, like, you know, like, realizing, like, because obviously they were, you were kind of focused on the one guy who thought he was all, you know, Joe Cool. Which I want to point out, I don't think this gets mentioned a lot in some reviews, but before they get to the rave and they're walking through the meat factory or whatever it is, the fact that we actually see a body go by and he sees it for a second. He goes, what was that? But, and then that's it. It's a throwaway thing, but it's literally a body that's in some sort of wrapper that goes right by him. Yeah. And like, I, it was one of those things that like, wait, did I just like, even as a viewer, you're like, wait a minute, was that? Yeah. But yeah, no. So like, he thinks he's getting, you know, he, he's about to get it all. You know, he's getting with Tracy Lords. Well, all right, that's another subject altogether. <laughs> but um, but like you know, he he thinks he's being all cool, and he thinks, oh, I'm at this exclusive nightclub. I've got the I'm gonna, and then like just watching the fear on you know overcome him as he realizes like, oh wait, I'm not the cool guy that I thought I was. Mm-hmm. I'm now in the middle of a vampire. You know, uh, you know, yeah. I, I am just food now. Yeah, and then of course Blade shows up. And I love how not a drop of the blood. He happens to be standing in a spot that there's no blood getting to him. Well, Whistler gave him some uh, really cool protective gear for the leather. Yeah. It's, uh, but I mean, it's, it's like, not even on the floor right there. Yeah. Like it, he just, he's got like, you know, get Rainix for your windshield. He has blood. Yeah, on it. <laughs> yeah it just falls off of him. Uh, and then, of course, they start setting up, you know, when he kills them, they explode into like ash. Which, uh, there we go, and and you teased it, so we'll get to it. At, at the time, man, that was so cool. You're like, oh, man, that's yeah. awesome. Now you watch it, and you're like, oh, yeah, the graphics in 1998 were not where they are now. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, there a lot. And, you know, I, I know they've worked on stuff. We're talking about this in 2022. You know, they, they've worked on getting the lighting right. But yeah, there's a lot of the, especially I can't help but go back to the the ritual when the skeletons and then demon skeletons climb oh, out of each the- of the vampires. And it's just, it's a cartoon. They yeah. are cartoons. Oh, it's so, it's so bad. And I don't, I don't remember. I did notice it this time. And I was like, did it look that bad when I saw it originally? Or is it? It couldn't have. Not 98. With no. the, the effects we were used to. But the, I'm sure it the looked one, awesome to us. The thing that really struck me as weird this time is there was a weird, like the bird skull or bat skull or whatever it was coming out of the regular skull. So like yeah. it had like 
Why yeah. were there two skulls? Uh, yeah, I didn't get that either. Like, why not just have the bat skull climb out of their mouths? Like, uh, it made it was... no sense for a regular skeleton to climb out and then a bat skeleton to come out of the regular skeleton. Yeah, it didn't make any sense. Yeah, that was confusing. And then the blood uh, when Frost gets his arm and then cut in half the yeah. the blood that... Uh, yeah. No, it wasn't great. I will say this, though. As much as we're, we're we down the special effects... I actually think the effect of Dragonetti burning up in the sun wasn't that bad. Now, once he caught on fire, the fire was horrible. But him, like, melting, I actually yeah. thought that still kind of looked pretty good. I mean, there was I mean, there was a fair amount of... And it was probably more of the practical effects that they did were, were not bad. You know, like the, the, you know, whoever they really dressed up as the burnt, you know, as the burnt. Yeah. You know, because I'm Quinn, guessing it yeah. was, I'm guessing it wasn't really Donald Logue in most of it, but uh, you know, I mean, some the the practical stuff looked good, but the the CGI stuff it was just like oh. So aside from aside from the CGI, what about the mythology they built? Because to me, I'm a big vampire guy. I, I actually I, I did like a research paper on vampires in school. The Buffy the Vampire Slayer was big at this time, and so I was a fan of that. And they did a similar thing, you know, when she staked them, they just turned into dust. Yeah. So, so for instance, the Burning Ash, it feels, it felt to me like story wise, when we are then introduced to like the council and uh, Dragonetti sitting there looking through the pictures, he asks how many were killed, and the one guy says we don't have a number yet. Apparently, he used a lot of silver. And so to me, that implied they only turn into ash if they're killed by silver. But then when he's fighting them at the end in that little ritual room, he's just snapping their necks and they're turning into and he stabs his mom with a bone and she turns into ash. So I was a little confused by that. Yeah, I mean, if they if they turn into ash every time, then what was the. I, what was the meaning behind maybe, we don't have a count because he used a lot of silver? Maybe they, they just didn't have the right hazmat suits for the vampires to go in and, and get the count because the silver, like, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm trying to, I'm, silver I'm trying to close, I'm trying to close a pothole that you found. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, like all the silver's in there. So if they send a vampire in there to get a count, like that vampire's going to die too. Yeah. Like, but you if know, you spray garlic into their mouth, their head explodes. Right. So, I mean, you know, they got to clear the room first. It's like if if somebody had like, you know, Ebola popped out, you can't just go in there right away. You got to you got to put the suit on or you got to let the Ebola clear out and then you can go in. You know, so uh, maybe that's what they were trying to say. And also, I mean, I I actually just caught something in what I just said. So you can cut their arm off. Their arm will grow back, as we saw with Donald with Quinn. But you can snap their neck. Because Blade does that to several of them at the end. He just breaks their neck. I mean... And there's yeah. the one guy, he rips out his Adam's apple. Yeah, I the one thing... I mean, and I'm not necessarily as much into vampires. I mean, I do enjoy them, and I have seen a lot of vampire movies in my day. But the one thing that's always been weird to me, and it, it seems to fluctuate movie to movie or, or writer to writer, if you get bit by a vampire, it doesn't necessarily automatically turn you into a vampire. Or like they can drink your blood 
and it will turn you into one. But if they if they plan on killing you, they can just take you all the. It, it's just it's like like I said, it's it's writer to writer as to like yeah. whether or not they they'll just straight up and kill you or like if because so many times it's like oh he accidentally turned me into a vampire or he he intentionally turned me into a vampire. You know, I don't know. Yeah, that that does change because there's some stories where it's just the the bite. There's other stories where you have to drink the blood of the vampire to become a vampire. It's like you have to swap blood and and all. Yeah, I I get that, but whatever you decide to do, and I've said this several times in this podcast, whatever you decide to do in your world, at least have some logic behind it. Like make it make sense. Right. And so like. They call him the Daywalker. Yet Frost has no problem walking in the daylight if he has, you know, some SPF seven thousand or whatever it is that he's wearing. Yeah, I did. I did think that was kind of weird. Like I was like, wait, so apparently, if you put enough sunscreen mm-hmm. on, so like you would think, like as a vampire, just like on the outside chance that maybe a window's open, like you'd just constantly be applying yeah. sunscreen. Yeah, I didn't get that. I mean, e- even when Blade makes the mark, you know, it looks like your mascara's running, which you know, to assume that there's a little frost doesn't look worried at all. He's like, Oh, let me just rub that back in. When, when they were killing dragon Eddie, I did think, man, it's awful bright for them. None of them to be wearing the helmets yeah. just yet. Like the sun was pretty far up before they yeah. were like, Oh, we should probably put our helmets yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. That's just a lot of, I mean, even the ritual, like how did the ritual work? Because to my understanding, is he needed the blood of 13 people. It was the 12 members of the tribe, the families, and then the Daywalker. When they kill Dragonetti, I go, wait, is there another member of that tribe that was on the council? Or, But no, now we've got 12. There's 12 of them. Okay. But then we've got that blonde chick that kills one of them right before the ceremony. And... I, I threw me off even more. But yet when you watch, there are 12 of them and there's 12 little lines of blood that gather. And I'm just going, you're not making sense. Like make, if you're going to even establish some crackpot story, it needs to have logic. Right. And you know, you have to wonder where in the editing process, if some of that didn't make more sense. I'm, I am a firm believer that a movie should take as long as a movie should take. I know there's a there's some people who are like hour and a half that's it. If it's over than that, it's just too long. But like, I mean, if if it takes three hours or it takes three and a half hours, that's fine. But don't give me a three hour movie when I can cut forty five minutes of it out and still have make sense. But I mean, there's movies like not necessarily this one so much, but I'm I'm thinking Hancock is another. It's so to keep it comic book related. Oh, Hancock's not a comic book. There's an entire. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, superhero. It's yeah. Superhero. You know. I mean, they. They. I mean, they probably wanted it to be a. But I've always felt with Hancock that there's a good hour out of the middle of that movie missing. Yeah. That somewhere out there <laughs> is an extended cut that would make it make yeah. way more sense. Well, you know, I've always did. been a proponent. The Ben Affleck Daredevil. I. I admit I'm a fan, but I'm a fan of the director's cut, which is an additional yes. thirty minutes longer. And it's this whole right. court uh, proceeding, courtroom proceeding that is happening throughout the movie, which helps you figure out how Matt Murdock 
is learning about the kingpin and how he eventually yep. gets to the kingpin. It's all the stuff that's happening in this trial. And uh, yeah, you take that out, yeah, the it doesn't flow as well in my opinion. So yes. I'm all for the director's cut of of a uh, so Daredevil. For me, like there's probably a couple minutes of footage or, or deleted scenes and, and because in 98 DVDs were only and director's cuts were only starting to exist that that stuff might be lost forever. But I do wonder if like maybe just in the, for them, you know, we, we got to keep it at, you know, a tight hour 30 and hour 40, whatever the running time was. If they weren't like, if we cut a couple seconds out here, a couple seconds out there, a minute here, like, Oh, no one will catch that. We, you know, just made this scene nonsense because we were just, yeah. you know. All right. Uh, I, th- I think we've, we've gone through the movie well enough, but I, we can't do a blade episode without talking about the impact that blade had on superhero movies. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you agreed with me and it wasn't something I was going to have to fight <laughs> with you over, but yes, Batman 89 kind of resurrected the superhero yeah. genre. Yeah, you you had a you had a, Bat- a boom in '78 with Superman, but then nothing really came from that, and then Superman just got campier and campier. Yeah. And and then as soon as Batman tried to build it back up and restart it uh, in '97, he tried to kill it again. Yeah, Schumacher came in and gave Batman. <laughs> and in fact, and for that matter, I mean, the comic book industry for uh, I mean, for all intents and purposes, at that point, was dead. Like they were just like, these are done. We can't make any more of them. And then Marvel and New Line and, you know, through everything you had just said, we're like, well, you know, this is, I don't know if they could have been like, let's do Iron Man or let's do Hulk or let's do like a bigger character. I think it almost had to be a lesser known character. It, to say even a C level character would probably be generous for him at yeah. the time. Well, and that, um, and that was you know, how to, this went. So they had done Howard the Duck and it was a, infamous bomb they had had the captain america 1990 they had the dolph lundgren punisher there was the uh, again infamous unreleased roger corman fantastic four and then in 1997 marvel entertainment became marvel enterprises and was run by toy biz and toy biz just said hey we've got all these characters let's make some toys and so they start throwing out all the Marvel toys, which I had several of when I was a kid. And then Marvel decided, hey, we're going to take some of our lower characters, Blade, Daredevil, Punisher, Black Panther. We're going to give them darker stories. We're going to update their looks. We're going to make it more realistic, more natural look. And that's where we got Marvel Knights. Yeah. And it, it, this is the 90s. We also got this was the same time Image uh came to fruition. And even though the the Spawn right. movie which came out a few years before this was horrible, the Spawn comic book was one of the biggest selling comic books at the time. And then, you know, also Marvel Knights was smart enough to be like, "Hey, let's not just do regular stuff. Let's go get Kevin yeah. Smith and get him to write." And so bringing in like bringing in people who weren't like established comic book guys just to kind of reinvigorate the line and have people go, well, I like Kevin Smith. Let me let me read his comic book. Oh, I like this stuff. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, Blade happens and that teaches the movie, the, you know, not just new line, but it teaches other people 
hey, we we can do this comic book stuff. And then Sam Raimi goes, let's do Spider. Well, before that, now, X-Men. Well, and then you had the yeah. X-Men. Yeah, and then you went Blade, X-Men, then Spider-Man. But so then that taught maybe Fox or, or Marvel, hey, and so they did X-Men. And then they didn't necessarily stay 100% comic accurate, but they were a lot more comic accurate than like a lot of comic book movies had been beforehand. They also went, now Sam Raimi a little bit more, but Fox, when they did the X-Men, they went, let's not make it look like a comic book movie, which was, you know, you go back to the Captain America 1990. I mean, he looked like you pulled him straight off the page. You know, his right. suit was just way over the top, bright and colorful. And uh, some of the sets even looked that way. But X-Men, with what Brian Singer and Fox did with that, they brought it more realistic. They gave them the leather suits instead of the bright blue and yellow suits that we had had in the comics. And yes, Raimi went full comic bookish, but he still gave it more of a, a realistic feel by putting like green goblin in like an armor instead of it being some side of latex wow. suit or something. Well, and I think Raimi, I mean, obviously, I mean, the groundwork was laid by those other two, but Raimi really was the one who was like, okay, I see all what you do there. I love Spider-Man. I grew up on Spider-Man. I grew up on the cartoon. I grew up on the show. I want, and I, I love the book. So like he, wanted to do the book and that obviously influenced Favreau you know a little bit you know later with Iron Man where Iron Man was like we're just going to do the book yeah. like that's what we love you know we're going to you know update a few things here or there but i mean you know so there's an obvious line between Blade to X-Men to Spider-Man to a couple mishits in in between to Iron Man and i don't think you have to say that Blade was what started it all yeah but yeah i i've had i've had disagreements um in conversations with other people about whether it is blade that kicked off what is essentially the modern superhero movie or if it was x-men or if it was spider-man i don't think it's iron man as much as people say i iron man would not exist without well, those other three no they and I, that's the thing, like, I don't know if Fox puts the kind of money or the kind of effort they put into X-Men. Not the success of Blade. If they don't look over and see New Line's, like, massive success with Blade. And so, I mean, obviously, be, being how soon after X-Men came out than Blade did, they were already at least talking about it or working on it. Like, I mean, that's not the kind of thing that you just go, wait, he did what? Start it now and then get it out, you know, a year later. But... You know, they, they were obviously like, okay, let's maybe put a little bit more money into this or let's spend a few bucks and get Patrick Stewart. And, yeah. you know. Yeah, Blade, I just looked up the uh, the box office. Blade had an estimated $45 million budget. Only made $17 million opening weekend, but grossed in North America 70000 And then world. Worldwide, one hundred and thirty-one thousand. So, yeah, definitely a success. You mean oh, million. million? Excuse me. Yeah, you mean million. million. Sorry. Right? Yeah. Million. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a pretty good return on investment. And then, you know, the fact that home box office definitely existed then, and video sales definitely existed then, you know, that would have even factored even more into Fox going, "All right, let's pump a little bit more into this X Men thing." And then after X-Men came out, Sony was like, let's pump a lot into this Spider-Man thing. 
And then when Spider-Man became what it became, it just started having the run daredevil and ghost rider and fantastic four and Hulk. And yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously Spider-Man kind of revolutionized it all, but I don't think you get Spider-Man if you don't get blade saving the comic book movies a couple years before that. I 100% agree. There is, a, I tried to find it, and for some reason I couldn't find it. I don't know if it's been removed or I just forgot what it was titled and couldn't figure it out. There is a documentary that is about how Blade saved the superhero genre. I would like to see that. If you ever remember what it was called. Yeah. I'll definitely look that up, and if I can find it by the time I uh, post this episode, I'll try to even put a link out there to to see where to where to see it. But yeah, no, this is a this was a great one to talk about. Uh, it's one that I've wanted to talk about. There's a whole other aspect of Blade that uh, I would love to have a conversation with someone, but uh, Nick and I aren't really the one to have that with. Um, but Blade's uh, cultural impact, I think there there also exists. There is a great podcast that I listen to that I will promote for this. It's called Black Man Can't Jump in Hollywood. And they did an episode on Blade. And it's a group of guys that sit and talk about the impact that a Black-led film has on um, the African-American community. Because I will say, even though I'm a you know 40-year-old white male, that when Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther came out, and not to downgrade anything about that movie because it is awesome. Chadwick Boseman is amazing. I kind of felt like Wesley Snipes and Blade was shunned because everybody was like, it's the first black superhero, but yep. but it's not. That was Blade. That was Wesley Snipes. Like, give mm-hmm. him the credit. No, I, I 100% agree because I, I thought the yeah. same thing. And I can give you a, a, an equally a relevant example when patty jenkins directed wonder woman they were like oh this is the first woman to ever direct a comic book movie yeah no it wasn't i can't remember her name but she directed punisher war zone yeah i forgot if you wouldn't have just brought it up i would have been able to yeah i mean there there was a woman who directed and i i can like given who the nerd community is i'm surprised that nobody ever was like um excuse me what yeah, it's again, like I said, you know, that's a, another podcast. And again, I recommend the Black Man Can't Jump in Hollywood uh, podcast to listen for that. I will, just for the sake of we're typically a family friendly podcast to point out they are not. Uh, so um, be aware of language that will happen during that podcast. But uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and throw in our final decision. Um, I'm sure you're familiar, Nicholas, with Bag It, Stack It, or Trade It that we like to call it with this uh, show. It's pretty much, do we treat the movie the way we treat a comic book? Do we back it and, you know, cherish it? Do we stack it and just come to it back to it from time to time? Or do we trade it and just eh, get rid of it? And I'd rather have something else. So what do you say, Nicholas, back it, stack it, or trade it? I'm going to add a fourth category. Okay. Um, I'm going to wall book it. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I have uh, I mean, I can see you have a few hanging around in there. So you, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time in comic book stores, so you know, there's the wall book, yeah. you know. Yeah, that that I would put for its for what it did for the comic book movie industry, I would put it up up on a on a wall book, you know. So I obviously bagging it because yeah. you're not putting it up yeah. there without putting it in a bag. But uh, you know, just based on impact alone and, and what it meant, 
for the comic book industry, you know, I would say wall book it. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm all fine with that. Uh, it'd be it'd be like getting it graded, you know, getting it yeah. sealed. Yeah, no, I I said bagged it, bag it for almost the exact same reasons. Um, it's it's a huge impact. It's a '90s movie through and through. It's a fun movie. Like that's what one right. of the things we. It's just it's a fun one to watch, even without the comic book aspect to it. It's a it's a fun movie, a fun action movie. I know we did kind of slam on it a little bit, just you know, with some of the graphics and whatnot. But I still enjoyed it. Yeah. I really when I watched it, I watched it again, yeah. and I was like, man. I still really like yeah. this movie. And as a comic book movie, there, there's something we didn't talk about. I love that it's not an origin story. That it just yes. straight into it. And, you know, we don't need an awful lot of detail about where vampires come from and why vampires existed. We don't need an awful lot of detail of how Blade became what he became. Let Give us his birth and give us the, uh, the line of Whistler just going, I trained him. And that's all we need. We don't need to yep. see him getting trained. Right. We don't need to see him stumbling around on his first hunt. We just hit the ground running, and I love that. Yeah, I don't need to see uh, Thomas and Martha die again. Just, <laughs> uh, don't <laughs> just get me started move on, on that. Like we're, we're, there, we're there already. We know the story. Just give me a new one. Moving on. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not going to get started on that. All right, well, thank you, Nicholas, uh, for joining me. Go ahead and tell everybody about uh, Pop Culture Roulette. All right, Pop Culture Roulette is a podcast that's weekly or theoretically weekly. We we talk about all the pop culture events where we whatever happened that week or or will be coming up, we talk about. As you said uh, when you were promoting the other podcast, I'm not exactly as family friendly as you and Tim are. Nothing I, wrong with that. My 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 two friends and I, we will occasionally drop a few words here or there, but for the most part we try to have fun. You know, we, we talk about whatever amuses us. Uh, so whatever, I mean, for the Super Bowl, we just, uh, we'd had a couple episodes where we really, like one episode where we talked about just Super Bowl ads. And then the next one, we talked about just ad icons. Yeah. We did a whole bra- We did a whole bracket of like, I can't even tell you how many, uh, where we just debated on honey, Chris B versus pop crackle, or snap girl, the snap crackle and pop. And, you know, had a lot of fun with that. So, I mean, you never know what we're going to talk about from week to week. But, uh, you know, we just try to make each other laugh or get each other's goat. Uh, you can find us on uh, any of the major podcast directories or over at uh, mediapodsmash.com backslash popcultureroulette or, or on Facebook under popcultureroulette. And so go out. Uh, always entertaining. Again, just great, fun little conversations. Yeah, it's it's one of those podcasts where when you listen to it, like you're either going, yeah, 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 or you're wanting to yell at you, like going, going no, no, you're you're wrong. So yeah, that's what makes podcasts fun, though. So yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in uh, as we went through the movie that really gave us everything that we have now, and the reason why I get to have a podcast like this, and that's Blade. Uh, and all the accolades that need to go along with that. Rate and review the show. Follow us on social media at Moving Panels. And uh, tune in as we are about to get into March Madness. And this year we are going to follow Swamp Thing and go through a bunch of different episodes of all the different incarnations in movie and television uh, of that character. So stay tuned for that. But for today, for Moving Panels, I'm Laramie Wells, and I'll see you on the other side of the page.
Do you love movies of a certain age? Do you miss the days of VHS tapes and VCRs and video rental stores? Is the thought of another 80s movie being remade seem inconceivable? If you want to go back to school, back to the future, or even back to the beach, then the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast is for you. I'm Tim Williams, the creator and host, and on each episode, I'm joined by a guest co-host as we revisit a different 80s flick to discuss our first-time watch memories, iconic scenes, and even learn some behind-the-scenes stories along the way. New episodes drop every other Friday on your favorite podcasting platform. So make like a tree, get out of here, and go listen to an episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast.